We thought we'd drop this episode that David did with clever programming into our feed. Keep your ear holes open to learn more about how David started Hacker Noon and the tech behind us. Hacker Noon Podcast. Buddy, welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Naz, and this is Clever Programmer, and I'm here with David here from Hacker Noon. He's the CEO of Hacker Noon. He's the founder and CEO of Hacker Noon. And today we'll be speaking about his story, what, how he has built this company to be one of the biggest coding platforms out there for people to read, for people to get to know about coding, for people to learn coding. And we'll talk about the struggles, the hardships, the hard times. We'll talk about the happy events. And we'll talk about how you can potentially grow more into that potential if that is what you want to do. If you're a developer here and you want to learn more about how to start a business, you're in the right place. If you're somebody who just loves business, want to know what it takes to start a business, you're in the right place. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, David. So amazing to have you here. Thank you very much for being on here. Hello, clever programmers. Very excited to be here. I appreciate taking the time reading Hacker Noon and I'm, a, I'm an open book. So David, how about you go ahead and introduce us just a little bit more about, you know, what do you currently do at Hacker Noon and, and so forth? Cool. Yeah. My name is David Smook. I'm 33 years old, living in Colorado. Mm-hmm. I run a remote company called Hacker Noon. We have about 12 uh, full-time employees and another 20 part-time employees. We primarily employ editors and software developers. We publish about 40 stories a day, ranging across all types of technology. So software development, coding, programming, that's a big pillar of ours, as well as startups, business, and then also the decentralized movement and the movement towards uh, Web 3.0. I spend a lot of my day building software, so I'm more of a product management side of things, Mm -hmm. uh, editing stories, solving the worst problems, whatever kind of funnels to me about the business is always mm-hmm. the fun part of that job. Doing some sales, trying to work more with great technology companies and making, we really wanna just make a better place to publish. So the relationship we have with contributors is they own their content, they bring it to Hacker Noon, mm-hmm. we provide editing and distribution for those stories and we build up a library and a readership. And we have about 3 million readers a month. Wow. And we're building a lot of software. Wow, that's beautiful, beautiful. And so I know you talked a little bit, a little bit about Hacker Noon and what you guys are doing. And tell me a little bit more about what was the goal with Hacker Noon or what is the premise of Hacker Noon? And for those people who might not know Hacker Noon, maybe who haven't heard about it, tell us what is your goal and what will the readers get? The original goal was to make a business that made money while I slept. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I spot in my career where I really didn't want to uh, be paid by the hour. And working salary is still, in my mind, by the hour. You don't own the work you're doing. You don't own any of the upside or very little of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I reached a point in my career where that was m- more my goal than saying, hey, I need to solve this problem or that problem or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It was more as a mindset of I need to figure out a way to make a business that provides value and makes revenue and pays rent and <laughs> makes more than it spends. So a lot of the early days of this stuff was not about making the best place for technologists to publish. Mm-hmm. And that, that wasn't where it started as the goal, but we found a nice niche around building a lot. So I was building like blog licensing sites, blogs in different verticals, really getting into content management systems. And at my previous job, I ran a WordPress blog with about 500 contributors. So I had gone through the back and forth of like, how to manage a large network of contributors, how to help with their work, mm-hmm. all the flow stuff. That's a lot where my background came. And with 
Hacker Noon, it was that right mix of a good name, a good mm. industry. The people in technology, they know they want to talk about their technology and find other people who care about this stuff. Right. So there's a really good industry for much more of a community-based operation and then putting things in place to improve the content and mm. making your stories better. Like the headline itself is going to change the whole trajectory of the story, how fast it loads is going to change it, what the feature right. image is, how many grammar errors you have, yeah. like how good is your word choice. All these things impact the direction of the core of the story. We found a nice niche of what I'm calling the second human rule of making sure another human views it and improves the content. That's and that's something that I think the internet as a whole is lacking a bit. There's so many places anyone can post anything and just shout into whatever other void opens up at the time. Right. But having that barrier to entry and saying, hey, a human is going to look at it. It's going to take a couple days and then we're going to get a better result because we had two humans and editing is something that gets a little bit of diminishing returns. The first 20 minutes of editing story, you're going to provide more value than the next 20 minutes. Really? Usually. The, the first 20 minutes basically that the, you know, the students read or the people read, when you say 20 minutes, you mean, was that like what, what two paragraphs, two paragraphs? So what do you mean by that? How an, an editor can edit like a 500 word story in about 20. They come up with the basics and improve it. But whenever they spend minutes 21 to 40, you know, sometimes it's they're not as big of improvements. Yeah. Like yeah. covering your bases is like the very first thing you need to do. And also just answering the question, should this be on the internet forever? Mm -hmm. That's important thing of maybe someone's like, no, that, that shouldn't be on the internet forever. Or reframe it as a different type of thing. A lot more people are going to care about it or find it. So there's elements there that like an editor is just so helpful for publishing content on the yeah, internet. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So my interesting portion that, you know, from what you said there is, but then by the way, before we go into it fully, guys, if you do guys want to go and check out Hacker Noon, we have the links down in the description. There's a Hacker Noon website. You guys can go to and check out what they have. They have some amazing articles, you know, around coding, around development, around the new, the new web, decentralized web as well. So you guys, do you guys have a newsletter or like uh, in there as well that they can subscribe to too? Oh yeah, so if you sign up, you can choose your tags as you go. And so we can, because our library is pretty big. We have about 75,000 stories and 27,000 tags. Nice. So it's helpful to uh, sign up, create an account, and then you can pick your eight tags so you can customize your content. Yeah, and then the, the footer of every page is a newsletter nice. too. Nice, um, nice. want the general. That's the beautiful. Pocket. That's beautiful. So let me ask you this, because when you said it was really interesting, when I asked you, hey, you know, what inspired you first to start this? And you're like, first, I just wanted to sit at home, not do anything and just have it make money for me, right? So <laughs> it's quite like that. I need to make money while I sleep. It has to pass the I get hit by a bus rule. If it if it doesn't pass the I get hit by a bus rule and it survives, uh -huh. it's not this. You're running your services, you're selling your services, you're selling your time, and that's cool. That's a good way to do it. You can make plenty of money, but it really needed to solve the rule of if I'm not a part of it, it still works. And that's so, the thought I wanted to get to. So let me ask you that because there's a lot of students I talk to. So of course, I, student, I talk to a lot of students on a daily basis, students who want to learn coding, students who want to get into boot camps and stuff like that. And there's a lot of people who say, I just want to be on the beach and make a ton of money. And that's it. Does it actually work that way? Is it actually possible to create something where you literally do nothing and then it's just making money by itself? First and foremost, I couldn't do the beach thing. My brain's not <laughs> wired that way. I'd be out you're there not like a beach person. Something, trying to sell someone something on the beach. Or like, once <laughs> I get there, I'm like finding a new thing to do. So like just chilling on the beach, like I probably couldn't handle uh -huh. that. That's just out. But <laughs> that's funny. Uh, what was the question? So the question, is it actually possible, right? To not, I'm not saying beach, but actually to make money in your sleep to where yeah. Yeah, okay other people are doing things with hacker noon that little yellow banner atop every page is about half our revenue and it's running all the time 
And so we sell it directly to large tech companies and large crypto companies. Mm -hmm. They buy directly from us. There's no targeting. And we just put that ad up. And when I go to sleep, people can send you to visit the site, have an impression, click the ad. That's right. So that I would say it's happening and it's possible. That's great. It's not a full-on money machine. It's not like the Fed. I can't just print money <laughs> whenever I want. Um, but <laughs> it, it's a decent business. That's good. That's good. That's good. So now let me tell you, let me ask this, right? You, you had this goal in mind, right? That you wanted to be able to not be on the clock and so forth. For, at which point did it switch to a different model? Or at which point did you realize that this is a lot more than just a business of being able to make money while you sleep? It came to more of a, you know what, this is actually a business of actually helping developers and making it one of the biggest coding platforms. Where did you realize? I don't know if there's exactly one day. So it was weaning down my clients. So I had took on clients to help grow their internet presence and define who they are and just help them grow up on the internet. And so I had, you know, this kind of service business. And the goal was that the business from Hacker Noon would, you know, outgrow it. Mm -hmm. So it's like it took the first customer was actually hired.com. No they way. A site takeover for the site. Yeah. Uh -huh. Bought our newsletter and they did all this stuff. And uh -huh. so then it was like, OK, now I can wean off a couple clients. And uh -huh. it was the goal was to get off all the other clients that required anything that wasn't Hacker Noon. Mm -hmm. And that hit, it took about 15, 17 months, something like that for Hacker Noon to make enough revenue to be my full-time job. And then I recruited my wife, which was probably the smartest move. <laughs> She's much more intelligent than I am, but she didn't pay for any education. She was sponsored from education from like full scholarships from like age 12 to 21 or oh, something. My. Uh, so much smarter than me. Um, so I, I guess that was a great pick in terms of, you know, <laughs> hiring her. And I had people that were in and out of the project. An engineer, Jay Zalowitz, was running a, a lot of scripts and then and John Marshall was doing a lot of writing with me. So it's kind of these part-time people like floating around because they believed in it and helping it grow and exist. And then when it was enough money for the two of us, it was a really nice spot. So we were, we didn't have a software team. We were mm -hmm. just managing a large community and we were doing a lot of editing, a lot of sales. And then we wanted to really expand to have our own software team. And that's where, um, yeah, that's where we, I guess we were going all in and going a little bigger. And we did uh, something called equity crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. So we put I, I actually remember that. I remember yeah. that. <laughs> so we did that. And that's how we built our first software team. And the first uh, two engineers, three engineers we hired, none of them went to college. They were all <laughs> self-learned, online shit, boot camps, all that stuff, and just building products. So I definitely like what you guys are doing. And it's like, I think more and more people are not valuing the education when they're hiring software developers, which is, it really matters. Like we've pivoted a lot where we basically every software developer we hire we do a part-time project with them wow we really what is working yeah and we pay them for the project we talk about it we pick something we think would both be interesting and then we work from there about negotiating like a long-term contract mm -hmm. and it just so quickly we learn like it, what people say in an interview doesn't matter like to me the interview like i yeah, I just every time I try and base a decision on the interview, I think I make a poorer hiring decision. If I just look at their work and then do a project with them, I can see how they work. And at that point, I'm like, I know who I'm working with. I understand how they approach a problem, how they divide it, uh, how they time it, how they line it up. So there's, I don't know where I got to this point, but. But no, this is this is really, <laughs> this is actually really interesting. I'm very happy you got this point because a lot of our viewers are developers. They're beginner developers. They're looking to get into companies. And I think what you're talking about is great because this gives a lot of great insight about what companies are actually looking for. So when you go ahead, let me ask you this. When you go ahead and hire are hiring developers now at this point, what specifically do you look for? And how does the uh, process go? 
Yeah, so the last process we did, we put it, we put the, we stopped advertising jobs elsewhere. We just put the careers page atop our site because that meant they were a Hacker Noon reader and they already understood what the site was, so That's they cool. want to work on it. That's interesting. So that was one thing I realized that gets rid of the people that don't care about this. Mm-hmm. So if you don't already care about Hacker Noon, it's much harder to do anything with you because mm-hmm. you're that's just a, you're not already aligned. So just that already aligned the people that would I would be talking to. Uh, then we ran a one and a half hour test that anyone could take. And it basically said, rebuild a page of Hacker Noon. And we gave them a story page and some guidance. And it can be done in like an hour and a half, maybe two. It depends, you know, how into it you get. But we tried to tell them, like, don't spend more than this. Try it. We like instead of spending an hour interviewing, we can learn more if you do one hour of the just build a page and run this little test. And then the people that built the best page we interviewed. And then from there, we voted and then we hired. When you say build a page, you mean build an actual website, the Hacker Noon website? No, we just, the story page. So if you look at like a headline, the story page is the most popular page on our site. So mm-hmm. that's the frame, the the formatting. It's headline, author, feature image, right. body, social shares, emoji reactions, mm-hmm. uh, tags, recommended content, footer. So it was just kind of, and then people would, it was cool in the explanation. They're like, hey, yeah, if I would keep going, I would do this next. I got to here. I took a shortcut there. Uh-huh. And then you get to talk to them about like, how did you build this thing? Uh-huh. And I've thought about this page a lot. So like they, whenever we have that discussion, it's a page I've thought a lot about and they just spent two hours thinking about how to make a page like that. So it's, that's the test that we run. And my goal is to, for them to spend less time, but also to us to learn enough to make a good decision that we're pretty aligned. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the test we ran last time. We'll probably run it again. That's really cool. That's really cool. And okay, you guys go ahead, you go through this process of having them submit a page, which to me is really interesting because a lot of us, like for example, here at Capron, we focus on clones, like building website clones, right? So yes, there is the proof there that people like website clones. Basically, you're cloning your website that's already there. Developer companies, the amount of times people have told us how to build the Uber clone, they just, the story submissions just keep going from all these app development companies. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so once you went ahead and you have them, let's just say this, okay? Okay, a lot of these people, they build all these Hacker Noon, the website, right? Not the landing page, but of course, but that uh, the article page, okay? Um, of course, there's still a ton of people who are doing that. What do you look for? What do you pick from? There's 100 people and you only have one spot. In that moment, it's, oh, I, I'm looking for details in the page that we chose or how clean their alignment is. You're learning where they prioritize back end versus front end, even choosing what they say to admit and what I didn't get to. Some people just throw out the footer altogether. Some people would put it in a different footer. Some people would acknowledge they didn't. It was interesting to see if they acknowledge what they didn't get to. I always appreciate that. Yeah. It's, hey, I, pri- I have the time limit. One, it proves that you listen to the time limit. Which wow. Makes me- and communicate better. Interesting. So, because if the project keeps going, you could do it better. Yeah. You could spend three hours on it and send me something more beautiful and say, I'm so great and I did it in 90 minutes. That's not as good. <laughs> what really? I want is people to actually talk about where they cut short because the time limit forces that. You can't do it perfectly in the time limit, but you can come close. You can get a good 80% thing out, I think, uh, with the enough instruction that we give you. Wow. So you're saying that even, for example, if I went ahead and I interviewed for Hacker Noon as a developer and you guys gave me this. So you site. would do this before the interview. Before. Yeah. And I would say the second after the coding test and then their personal website is probably second for me. Mm-hmm. So the personal website, I think, so one, we're in publishing and I believe every technologist should tell their story around the internet and that's part of the value we have of bringing traffic back to your corner of the internet. So if you don't already have put in the time to build your corner of the internet, 
I don't think you're probably not a good fit here. So if you don't have a personal site for a business like mine, I want my software developers all to have a personal site already. And they value and they understand the value prop that we have with our contributors that they want to drive traffic to something and they mm -hmm. want to talk about the projects they're building. So other than the test, I would say number two is the personal. And some people, it also can be a build up LinkedIn profile. It could be your built your GitHub profile that you look at your corner as the internet. So it doesn't need to be a personal site, but L a like personal a portfolio site firms that you do care about your corner of the internet. And that means we're already going to be a little more aligned. The last one, uh, the last engineer we hired, Marcos, his personal site was so funny. It was a picture of his actual office. And then he did this 3D thing where you look around. Uh the menu yeah I'll, I'll drop the link after this but it was, so like, cool. it was just unique and it was cool and it made him stand out and another one jefferson who we just hired he had a really cool like pixelated 8-bit site where he built it and we do a lot of pixelated stuff in our design uh -huh. so right away when i visit the site you feel this alignment of this respect for that retro old video game <laughs> and like those first times you found the internet those are the things we value i love that i love that and every company of course is different right in terms of what they value and what they want their they see engineers uh, in, in, in engineers but what do you think is the number one thing that is the one is the most important thing that you guys look for in a developer? May that be when they're coding it up or may that be when they are going to the interview? What is the number one thing that you guys look for? Since for me, since I'm more on the product management side and the writing side, I'm really looking for empathy and communication. So there's obviously the hard skills part of it. And I trust our test. And if we tweak our tests for a different role, I think about it and I talk to people and I trust it. But whenever I'm in the stage, you know, as the CEO hiring this small team of software developers, I'm really looking for empathy, communication and people that choose to do it themselves first. At this stage, when we're only 11 full time people, it's like everyone needs to be a top individual contributor, including right. myself. No one can be just a manager or no one can be, hey, I need a designer and a backend developer in order to ship this feature. It's right. like, no, you're a full stack developer. Mm. You know, like you don't need both sides support no matter what. If, right. if one side isn't there, you can work around it, plug in and get it out. <laughs> you right. have to revisit and clean it up <laughs> and reconnect it later. But right. like you're full stack enough that you got to the st stage where you ship the feature and people start using it and you can learn to iterate. So that's more of the easiest way to show that is by having your own product out there somewhere. Right. You know, and ha yeah. having that thing function. Say, hey, I worked on this project with these two people and you can play with it. And you, you can play with it. And that comes back to the personal site, like how you're collecting your information, how you're collecting your work. Yeah, so that's what we look for. That's really cool. And what I really love about this is the fact that you did say communication and even those soft skills. It's something because... It's something I very much talk about. So I, for example, I've had the pleasure of working, sometimes pleasure, sometimes not so much pleasure, <laughs> like working with a lot of developers, work with you know, startup companies. I'm personally, I love startup companies. So I work at a lot of startup companies. And then we also work at corporate companies. And for a big portion, what I've realized is that it's honestly not just the biggest thing, Not the, the biggest thing is not just about your skills around technical but it's also your soft skills. How good of a human being are you? Because what in the smaller the company, the more the individual contributor decides what they do and right. what they work on. And so really judging, do you are you able to level measure impact? Are you able to say, how does this impact readers, writers, sponsors, editors, admins? And think, what, what will happen? How do I measure this impact? And you're choosing what you prioritize and what you work on. It's like, yeah, I want a brain that... I believe in. I want a brain that cares about those users and cares and right. understands, hey, when I do this, it's going to piss off 10,000 people by putting up this pop-up. <laughs> people in these big tech companies put up the pop-up and then they say, look, 
our subscription numbers went up by this much. <laughs> don't don't talk about the pop up. Don't talk about how we did it. So that, that is where character comes in, and you choose the software development choices, and it sucks. So sometimes you have to take on the weight of pissing off a lot of users when a thing breaks. And these readers, yeah. <laughs> there's a guilt that you have to be able to carry and you have to trust that you yeah. could like, hey, all right, I know I messed up today. I'm going to help these people tomorrow. Here's how I'm going to do it. But that stuff is, that takes some weight. And if you have a sociopath that's saying <laughs> they don't care about what happens <laughs> to those things, it's like the business. Who knows? <laughs> it's actually really interesting enough. I, I worked this company once. I'm not going to say what company, but I worked with this company where they brought on this lead developer, right? The lead developer is a great, great person, very technical. Basically, it was about to come in and and fully redo the whole system, okay? And that was the goal, is to make it a lot more secure, a lot more scalable. The Z developer came in, really quickly decided to start to change a lot of different things, really quickly started to change all these different backend systems. Next thing you know, within two weeks, the backend system is changed. The front end did not know about any of the backend system changes. That thing was pushed live, next thing, everything's broken, and then next thing, 95% of the people were fired. So it's, yeah, it's... No, I was not fired. No, I was not fired. I was a full-stack developer. I was the 5% that stayed on. There were only, it was actually me and one of my friends. Uh, one of my friends, he, we're both full-stack developers. And so we stayed on uh, and we helped uh, the guy out pretty much to bring him up from what was going on with the whole, basically his system just going down fully. But I think it's just really interesting, right? It's just like the importance of one, how one person can really change so much in the company, especially when you're so small. And two, the, the importance of that communication that you're talking about. So yeah. when you say communication, how do you test it? How do you see that in a person? Mostly text. So I'm going back, I'm reading what they say they would do and what they did. So there's that element of communication of like accountability mm -hmm. that you just want to look back and see what people prioritize and commit to because they can't understate how valuable it is to be a good writer right now. The developers that I work well with are willing to write and they take the time to write. And some of them are verbose and some of them are very witty and sharp, mm -hmm. but clearly if you would read them and they're a developer or not, you'd say that person knows how to write. So that the written word for me becomes really important for communication with software development. So that's, um, that's something I just value a lot. And the precision of your language and what you look at and how, even the tone, like mm -hmm. I'll have pet peeves. I'll see red flags of you. For example, if you write something out and it's a question, but you put a period, that subconscious <laughs> stuff, I look for those little subconscious <laughs> things sometimes because it's okay. I get where you're coming from. You think you can command people. You see, okay, maybe it's a typo. Then you see it three, five times and you mm -hmm. see it happen when things escalate. And you're like, okay, I get it. That's that's what's going on there. So there's the precision in the written word. And then going back and looking at old typos is funny and stuff like that. But when I say communication, it definitely matters that we can meet and talk out our options and say, here's how we're going to descope. Here's what we're going to prioritize. If we descope that, can we get to here? Right. You know, so the discussions are very useful to have in the in-person meeting. Actually, I'm now at the point in the company where Ling, my wife, is the only person I've, the only one I've met in person. <laughs> remote, yeah. Because we were expanding. And so. Wow. And so, what, in what countries? Like, where's everybody at? Michigan, Florida, Ukraine, India. Ukraine? Yeah. I'm from <laughs> Ukraine. And I was, all, and also, I've been living in Michigan for the past seven years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got South Africa, Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all oh. over. Pretty much every time zone. Japan, mm -hmm. Australia, that's a tough time zone for meetings. Okay, but okay. I have a question about, I bet it's not that easy to get everybody on board in a team meeting, no? Like when everybody's so many, so many different time zones. Uh, yeah, we only have one all-hands meeting a, a month. So there's only one meeting that everyone uh, is like mostly required. Obviously, if you have something, 
important or a deadline or something or personal. You can't make it, but yeah, it, it is tougher. I mean, you definitely want to do less meetings. Less meetings are good. I usually do two to three a day. I try to keep it to two max so I can mm-hmm. get six hours of focused work on the keyboard. But yeah, it's, it is a little challenging for sure. And I, I appreciate like the sacrifices that people make with late meetings and early meetings. I don't want to abuse it. Yeah. You know, so I want to schedule yeah. like selectively, but like also it is good that the teammates are willing to do that for each other. That is true. That is true. That is true. So I want to stay in the topic of a little bit of, of the interview side of a portion and kind of what you guys are looking for. Okay. What you guys look for in general. So soft skills, communication skills. Okay. Are there any other soft skills besides communication that you guys think are really important and Humility. somebody who, who's trying Humility. to get, go ahead. Humility is As the most, Yeah. It's it's just very hard to work with people who really believe their farts smell great. It's difficult when you look across, like, when people get really smart, it's easy to get really arrogant. And so that's something where it's, like, looking for that humility and, like, being mm-hmm. able to, you know, confidently talk about your work, but not being able to just put yourself as this hero and ignore your faults and prop mm-hmm. yourselves up in your stories. So that's where it just gets hard. We've learned, like, the more humble somebody is, the more they can actually do a lot of times. Yeah. So whenever gauging like where is this interview from reality to what output I will get if mm-hmm. you start to sense that they lack humility you're going to sense that okay at whatever I pay them they're going to expect that what they deliver is a lower amount then the humility person is going to say hey like I, I'm going to come in and I'm going to bring more than I promised and mm-hmm. I more than I implied I'm able to do I actually can do other things that I didn't even talk about because I'm humble I, I talk so that's where if you can identify humility you can usually build a team of really top contributors that like help each other out because the more arrogance seeks in seeps into the company, the more your team will be disjointed and it will be Frankenstein-y and it will break. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree a hundred percent. How do you hope in your situation, how do you test humility or how do you test arrogance? (laughs) <laughs> like it's really, I feel like that's really hard to test, you know, <laughs> unless you actually work with that person. You can just talk how I would, just, whenever they tell their stories of their past work, really look for how they relate to themselves and the team and how much they, how they use I, how they, whenever you ask them like who helped do what, and just, I don't know, it can also just be in little things of talking about other stuff. And really you don't learn it until that first project. And that's why we try and get them through the first project as quickly as possible. Our hiring process is one one to two interviews, never three. Mm-hmm. Like we're not even going that far on the these software development roles because we want to make sure the test is good and value your time for the test. Mm-hmm. Uh, have the interview and then get in for a quick part uh, part time project where we pick something and build it together. I like that. I like that. So base so from the humility humility portion, okay. How I'm very curious. I know you said that you see that uh, the humility portion also from the project that they do. Whenever they somebody states the truth around, hey, you know, I just couldn't finish it in that one hour. That is actually a positive thing, not a negative thing. Yes, absolutely. I find that very interesting because a lot of people I've heard, of course, I've heard some people, hey, just lie in the interview and then you and then you will you'll somehow get into it. From your perspective, it's very different. It's just be as truthful as possible about who you are. And if they like your truth and who you are, then you're a much better fit for the company. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, at that, at that point, how have you seen humility affect you? So, for example, if there was a person maybe who wasn't so humble, how do you see that affecting you? I think it's because our core metrics are words published, time reading, and revenue. 
So I think you can see it sometimes where people will put their projects, push their projects further or meet, imply their project is more important whenever it's like, hey, we're all trying to get to these three goals. And in the thing you're doing, it does tangentially relate, but it's you're trying to push it forward because it's like the thing you love. It's your baby and it's your thing you want to do. And instead of helping others a little more of moving towards those goals, you just push your thing more. So I mm. think there's something where why we pick projects can start to become very selfish and you want to align the selfishness with the company goals. Mm -hmm. And so wherever it becomes, when those alignments come off and it's, I want to do this because I'm interested in it and it's not really going to impact those metrics too much. Sometimes you get down this rabbit hole of your interest is more important than the company's goals and mm -hmm. moving those forward. So that's where you see it like, but it's head. Um, but it's, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> That's cool. No, I think it's this is a great answer for a lot of people who are watching because, of course, the, our audience is very much, some of them are focused, maybe they're more entrepreneurship. A lot of them are focused on getting ready maybe for a job. They want to become developers. And so this gives them a lot of insight, insight about who they need to be. And so... It's software developers that can understand what are the goals of the company and be able to answer that smoothly. That's where you can have the one sentence mission and then you can have the core metrics, but it teaches you when you want to advocate for a feature, for example. Mm -hmm. Someone, if a developer is saying, hey, we need to invest in this big time, I need to focus on this over that, and it's because I think it's going to get us 10,000 new writers, or mm -hmm. I think it's going to open up this distribution channel to 10 million new readers. And you look around and you start to think, okay, it's moving our numbers in. And it does make sense to build that instead of this. Mm -hmm. So it's that overlap of like when software developers see how their work impacts the core metrics of the company, then they can make better choices. And I always appreciate when I get convinced to do something else because I'm like, <laughs> that, that's interesting, but you now have made a good case. Yeah. That's a more valuable use of your time. Great. And you understood the questions I would ask about how it would impact those numbers so it's a good moment. And I always appreciate it when it happens. I love that. I love that because this is what I love to do as I love to challenge those type of things. Okay. And this is what I actually teach to my students a lot of times in the boot camps and the courses. I always say that no company really likes a yes person. Like words so always yes. I always say that this is just my thinking and you can tell me what you think about this. Okay. Is just how you said that, hey, what if somebody can tell you or maybe propose a different idea that they might think a bit better? That says a lot more than if just, just and then if they were to just go ahead, you know what? Okay, yeah, I'll do it. From my yeah. perspective, when managers, for example, managers or somebody who comes with a feature and they're like, hey, Nas, we got to build this feature and so forth. My first question is usually, what is the goal with that feature? What, why are we trying to build this? And once, once, I understand that goal, then, then usually what usually happens is, hey, let's actually think about, the, will this feature actually get us to that goal? Yep. Sometimes as you start breaking things down, you realize that it actually might not. Have yep. you found that in your position? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of times as a good product manager, I'm basically a sounding board. And I'm <laughs> listening to, okay, where was the block? Okay, where was the block? And, and then it's okay, let's also just weigh these two things. Let's talk out two ways to get to the same goal that are completely different. Mm -hmm. Let's just talk out each option. Should we consider what, why is this one good? Why is this one bad? Why is this one good? Why is that one bad? So just that like little bit of back and forth is really fun. I, I will say that the people that say they're looking for yes people, where that's coming from is they're looking for reliability because mm -hmm. you do want reliable people. You do want to trust when it's their shift for tech support. They'll do it. You want to yeah. trust that, hey, uh, if an urgent bug happens, they can drop everything. If a minor bug happens and it's in the, say it needs to be fixed in 10 days, you just trust that you put it in the queue and a solution will be reached. So there is 
a reliability. Whenever people say that yes people thing, it's they there is a reliability that if you can trust the person to show mm -hmm. up and do the job, everything will go better. And building trust is really important to making more money and building up your right. relationships and proving that you're worth more money. So I don't want to dismiss that, but definitely the yes man stuff is bad. And if you don't trust, if you can't tell yourself why you're building this thing, and the answer <laughs> is because someone described how to build it there and told me to build it, you should probably look for another job. You, you may not today, but you probably will soon because it's just too, it's too brainless. Uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah. It lacks the purpose and yeah. the, the reason. That's the purpose, you know, of just coding in general, right? The whole... What I love about just coding is the fact that it's such a creative aspect. Whatever you can put out can either make it or break it. It can really help out a company very much, or it can actually not help out and actually make it do it worse. <laughs> but with just a line of code, you can create something that a lot of people can use. So I would argue this is old, though, because like writing has been like this for a while. Okay. You know, you read something to start your day. It's going to change your whole outlook. Whatever you read in the morning paper is going to change the way you see the world that day. Whatever mm -hmm. app you open on your phone, whatever headlines, whatever social updates you dig into, that stuff is all like framing how you see the world. And the written word, like code is like this evolution of the written word or like maybe it's a branch off or like uh -huh. a metaverse universe of the written word uh -huh. I'm speaking to computers is now its own language but to me i still group the bigger thing as together under the written word i love the, that the biggest technology and the most powerful thing i love that i love that so now tell me this okay okay when you guys interview i know you you had the project and so forth in terms of the actual coding aspect when you guys talk to a person what are the coding, not, I'm not saying what coding questions you ask, but what do you focus on when you do get to talk to them in person through Skype or through an interview? So usually another engineer will do that part so they can get more technical. I mean, they're really breaking down what portions of the tech stack do they know that we already have, talking about the bigger problems and solutions we're working on to figure out what excites them. Because it's also a matter mm -hmm. of we're broad enough that when you come in, we don't exactly know what you're going to work on. Mm. You know, it's the conversation of where interest and experience overlaps with possible projects we've detailed or possible projects we come up with together. So that part and really, yeah, how they work with people before. And I really the key questions I ask engineers is, would you enjoy working with this person? Mm -hmm. That's and if they I can how they hesitate a base like the engineer that interviews the candidate. That's the first question I want to ask them, because if. Once, if they trust that they're going to enjoy working with them, that's a sign that they're endorsing their talents, they're endorsing the mess. They would have to be, the more the team is excited to receive messages from each other, the more, the more everything like, starts to go. Like if they're not excited to receive messages from the teammate, it's that's the moment where it's like, that's bad. That, that can create people spending energy on like needless anger or like just things that don't help the work itself. And you're spending energy on it, it doesn't help the work. So that, that's the first one I asked them. And yeah, and we'll see a lot of the interview notes we'll have. You'll see, hey, there's gaps here in their knowledge. They seem mm -hmm. to be really experienced there. And then we're also trying to gauge how quickly they learn. So the ability to learn quickly is can't be under can't be overstated in how valuable it is. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't if you don't know Firebase, it doesn't mean you can't learn the database. Like, <laughs> yeah databases it's so you're also judging hey what's something you got excited about and learned really fast like where's a project where you came into that project and you didn't have any experience with that type of code or typescript or whatever it is but you were able to learn it quickly and become the project leader and, mm -hmm. and ship the thing and like when did you choose a technology and why 
asking people why they chose the technologies they chose is also interesting because a lot of times it'll be like, that's what the legacy was. But yeah. other times, hey, I found it and I had been waiting for the use case. I always love when people get to that. Like, I was really uh-huh. excited about it and I played with it and I was just looking for where I could put it. <laughs> that's, it's like, yeah, that's one of the things we look for. Oh, there's a, there's a new framework. Let's use it. I'm so, I can't, I'm so excited to use that new framework. There's like a new framework that comes out every single month or so, which uh-huh. <laughs> is something so hard to keep up with. But it's also really fun. Like I just recently realized uh, Tailwind CSS. Uh, I haven't gotten the chance, but I'm like, holy shit, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I think that's come up three times in our Slack of people like finding it the same way of wanting to use it and not like having the finding, wanting to use it before they have a use case of just whenever they stumble on it. So let me say this, okay? When you guys look for engineers, okay, is it, are the people who already have experience, a lot of experience, or do you guys take on any students who, not students, but people who maybe haven't had experience? And what do you look for if somebody hasn't had too much experience in terms of working at companies, but maybe they build projects and maybe they're coming from, maybe they're self-learner. What do you look for in that? In that? I love self-learners. Our first three engineers, I think, didn't go to college and they had more work experience in the beginning. And then we've had younger engineers that we hired that just finished boot camp and had one or two jobs or finished boot camp, had a couple clients and was basically building stuff for other people and had their own projects on wow. the side. Oh, what are full, I call him full stack intern, but we hired an 18 year old software developer and we just what? hired him to throw it on Hacker Noon. He wrote on Hacker Noon about how to improve our page performance p- speed. Uh, so we hired him to work with us. How did you guys notice him? Did you just no- notice him because he wrote an article? Did you just notice him because he actually applied? So he wrote a story about a Google Lighthouse speed. And I was at the time digging into our Google Lighthouse speed. Uh-huh. So I was like, this is great. I'm just going to meet with him and uh, <laughs> see if he's not crazy. And if he's not crazy, I'll hire him. <laughs> you guys heard it here first. If you're not cra- if you're not crazy, they'll just hire you. Uh, he built the free internet plugin. So if you, t- if you Google free internet plugin, we build a Google search plugin. And what it does is it removes uh, paywall results from the Google search results. Mm-hmm. And then you can customize it to add other sites or not that you don't want to appear. Wow. So instead of seeing the paywalled site and clicking through and getting to the paywall, we just take out those results and penalize the companies that use paywall and make Google search actually free wow. or closer to free. That's awesome. That's great. That's great. So now, okay, you guys go through this whole process. At any point, I know you guys give them a coding question. At any point, do you guys test them on, besides the project, on things like algorithms and data structures, or do you guys not focus very much on that? On those those typical coding interview questions that you usually get like Google, which is, can you create a recursive function or can you create a link tree? Is there any focus on that? Not for the general entry-level software development role for us, mm-hmm. uh, but for we are doing some stuff with recommended stories that would get to that level of complexity, but the people working on it are already on the team. So mm-hmm. we're not like, we're not like pushing for a really machine learning heavy per people right now. We're more in the stage where we like full stack developers that have expertise. So mm-hmm. you're more full stack and you're better at something specific. It's like more of what we look for. But I, I, I think uh, to me, it's just as long as the companies keep the interview question coding tests very short and not do too much stuff on the upfront, it's a good sign. I, I just think a lot of time gets wasted on long interview, long challenges or, yeah. or, or that it's just, it doesn't respect people's time enough. To me, if you're a company, if I, can, if I can't learn enough in three hours with you, I haven't designed my process well enough, like an mm. hour and a half test or two hour test and one hour interview or however that splits up. That's like a more reasonable thing of you want to hire this person or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love the fact, I love what you talked about previously, which is you just ask the person if they're 
great to work with? Would you want to work with that person? I think this is a lot because like it or not, I think an environment is something is the one of the most important things besides any, even any tech, any technical knowledge. Yes, technical knowledge is important, but if the environment is just not right, that ruins the, the whole thing pretty much. Yeah. People that pick other people up are really valuable and it's hard to see until they get in the room, but it's, it's worth its weight in gold. It just makes logging in so much more fun. Um, and it's, the thing is, you're going, if you're working hard, you're spending a lot of your waking time with these people. And yeah. if you don't like them, your day, you're not, your mental health is not going to be good. You're mm-hmm. going to rash, lash out in other ways. And it's just, uh, you want to enjoy the people, right. even though they're on the screen, they're not the same as, you know, going in the office in person. If you don't enjoy when their thumbnail comes up and you don't enjoy reading <laughs> their text, you're not going to enjoy your day. <laughs> you heard it here first. Be presentable on text and be presentable on Zoom. <laughs> so that's really interesting. Talking about how to get a job at some something like a, an amazing place like Hacker Noon, I think it gives them a lot of insight around what they can focus on. And the one thing we, the, the first thing we talked about, which is, hey, go into a portfolio. Make sure you have a good portfolio, some kind of a website that really presents yourself. Put yourself out there. I talk a lot about this to my students, and I personally love that. If you share just what people would just get to know you a lot better, and plus you make a lot more connections, right? Mm -hmm. Even, for example, on Hacker Noon, are they able to themselves just go there, go on there, and they simply post topics and make make articles on there? So anyone can uh, sign up and write a story, and then Mm -hmm. it submits to an editor. And we uh, accept about half the stories. for quality control. So that's some of the stuff's not good enough. And if the editor can get it to our level within 30 minutes, they'll help you and do it. If not, they'll reject it and they'll tell you a reason for why and saying, hey, you improve that, it can come back. Yeah, that's a lot of people in coding schools are writing on the platform, a lot of early software developers, a lot of hungry people that are saying, hey, I want to prove that I know this. And Mm -hmm. I put it out there and it's on Hacker Noon and Hacker Noon verified it and fact checked it as a third party (laughs) saying, I know how to do this. (laughs) You have a, on your resume, you have a, like this little logo that says fact checked by Hacker Noon. Great. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the story behind behind how this was created and even your background yourself, because I'm very curious about what it takes to build something like this. I know this doesn't take a little effort, nor does it take one just one person to do this. Let's maybe go from the beginning of, okay, where you were, how you got started, are you currently in college, are you currently in university, what were you doing at that point before you even got into Hacker Noon? Yeah, so I went to university for economics and creative writing, so a background on business and the written word. Then I was a newspaper reporter, and then I worked for a startup called Smart Recruiters. Mm-hmm. They uh, Shout out to them. They just raised $110 million, Oh wow! Uh, this week. Uh, yeah, but when I joined them, they, it was a five-person team, mm-hmm. and I left the, the company when it was about 125 people. So I saw this growth phase of a company, and that was like three and a half years of just learning, apprenticing from the CEO, learning how to grow an internet company. Mm-hmm. But, so I looked at that as like my graduate degree. If you want to look at it like, hey, college, I went to college for four years, then I spent about another four years just learning how to build an internet business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that was my perspective and why I wanted my own internet business. And then I left that company and I was just trying to work with the best entrepreneurs I knew, growing their business and having these different consulting contracts. And at the same time, I built the first app of this company was actually called MapShot. MapShot. Uh-huh. And it, the pictures on the background of the map. This is before Apple had that feature and uh-huh. Google that feature of where the maps pictures were on the map. And the idea was to build a social network 
where the more likes and engagement it got, the bigger the pictures got and the more of the map it took up. So it would just like smash together a bunch <laughs> of pictures. And it was like a way too much of a graphics challenge to like <laughs> complete. It was just like all these overlapping things and they would get gray. So you needed like all these complex rules about like uh -huh. how to pick the line where one image ends and the other ones begins. Uh -huh. And so it just ended up where... I spent probably from from my own money. I spent about 10k just like trying to build this app what? with software developers. <laughs> yeah, and it was like revenue from the marketing business. Uh -huh. So I was like, hey, I'm investing my marketing service business into software, mm -hmm. and so that that ended up failing. But were, were you doing any coding when you were doing that, or was it just you were hiring developers separately and you had no idea about coding? I was mainly doing uh, wireframing, and mm -hmm. no, I would like try to look, review the code, and learn from it. But I'm not at that level. But I'm more like visual, and I'm like drawing these little pictures, mm -hmm. making wireframes, trying to manage the the feature functions of it, and what to cut and what to keep, and mm -hmm. more. Like you're the idea guy. You're the Steve Jobs, basically. I would not be a Steve Jobs. <laughs> I'm saying like if, it, if it was just I'm saying if it was just the idea person is what I'm saying because I know Steve Jobs was not the best person as well just in general around yeah, some of the things. I was saying, hey, I'm gonna spend half my time working for other people and I'm gonna reinvest that revenue into software. Why? Right. And I'm gonna I'm gonna try that and I'm gonna build more sites. And if I don't have the ability to build the thing I want to build, I'm gonna take some of the revenue from marketing and put it into here and hire that labor. So that was like more of my mm -hmm. mindset about how to grow a business. Like to me, a business is about. Bring, it has to have revenue in, and it has to cost more than the, the input you spend out. You know, <laughs> Otherwise, it's not a profitable business. <laughs> That's not the easiest thing to do. Okay, okay. So you went ahead and you were building this application. It didn't go so well. So what happened next? I just kept serving clients, and then I was looking for other ways to build. So I built a lot of sites with Medium.com and their software and content management system. Mm -hmm. So that was a number of publications, most of which have all died. And then there's a uh, blog licensing apps I tried to build. And, but it got to the point where like Hacker Noon was by far the best. Like all the sites put together and all the apps I put together weren't as many readers as Hacker Noon. So Wait. this area of like technologists coming to a place and inventing a word. So the Hacker Noon wasn't a word. It was a domain I bought for $13. What? Yeah, the $13.99 on GoDaddy. And that's probably worth a lot more, huh? Yeah, it was a clean combination. It was hacker afternoon. So hackers wh in the afternoon. where hacker was inspiration to code? One, let's just think about this, okay? Why did you want to create on the something on the coding side? If you have not been affiliated so much on the coding side, I know you've been building websites and stuff like that, but why create a publication? People that read Hacker Noon for coding advice think Hacker Noon is just for coding. The library is pretty big and we just welcomed and we said, hey, you can publish anything about technology and mm -hmm. an editor will review it and we'll distribute it. It just naturally emerged as this underserved group that needs a little help with all their expertise, needs to repackage it, needs to have a better headline. It was just a group of people that like fit the service I was offering really well. To me, it was just, I wanted to create a te technology site and say, hey, anything about technology you can publish here, I wanna create a site where you can learn anything and mm -hmm. that's about technology and kind of have this vertical because I tried it with uh, PS I Love You and poetry <laughs> with uh, a marketing site and all these SEO people. Uh -huh. And it was like the technology stuff is just more interesting and it's a better, it's a better model and it's more people they're on their keyboard all day. I mean, to read their stuff is always appreciated. Mm -hmm. I love that. And so basically, they just, your goal from what my perspective is, your goal was not necessarily to just go ahead and attract developers. Your goal is to be able to attract anybody who wants to be able to put on any article around technology in general. It's just maybe because of the name, the name number one, and number two, they're, 
the lack of technology publication complica- uh, pu- publication companies there brought them in just organically over time. Is that how, how, how it was? Uh, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, pretty accurate. And I, I would just, I don't know if the other ones, uh, there's always a place to write, but even if, over the last 10 years, there's so many more places than there was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So much easier to get a site live and as hard as ever to get people to visit your site. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's that underserved thing of, okay, what's the first thing when you do when you're trying to market a site? That other sites have to drive traffic to it. That's right. You know, there has to be some trade-off there of like, how do you build up your webs on the internet where you're bouncing traffic around to each other? Yeah. So it, I think that was an underserved uh, group. And, and the underservedness led for predatory behavior and central entities. So mm-hmm. like becoming the social network, it's all this power. Like Facebook steals all the power from the publishers. And they're just saying, hey, we're deciding where the traffic goes, which publisher we rank above another in a news feed. Mm-hmm. And now that's a tough thing, too. They took advantage of the trend just much better of uniting the Internet really fast. But then mm-hmm. it's their own vested interest of what stories they want to serve you and why. And you're not getting, hey, what stories does this site want to serve me? Mm-hmm. I think that's right. OK, OK, OK. I see. I see. OK. My interesting now portion okay, is, is, okay, great. So you went with Hacker New. You bought the domain name for $13, which I think is really interesting. And they are now serving a lot of people posting articles. I know this is what people want to hear. What people want to know right now, David, okay? There's one thing people want to know right now. It is, what technology did you use to build it? Right now? No, before. The first. The first Hacker Noon? Yeah. Medium, medium.com. We use their content management. Oh, really? Okay, okay, okay. So it was Medium.com initially. Or they wanted people to just publish on Mm medium.com. When they started, I thought medium.com was going to set out to be right here, publish everywhere. Mm -hmm. And as they were bringing in all these back channel and big publishers, I thought that's a great model for writers to publish many places. Mm -hmm. And so I was uh, much more bullish on their early software Mm -hmm. than uh, whatever they're doing now. Gotcha. And so what have, what technology did you use after? Firebase is our database. So Firebase and Versal, we're using both. They're our primary two databases right now. But a lot of different technologies we've plugged in there. If you go to the About page, there's like a big logo thing and you can see all of them. And we're starting to open source more of them, a lot of our own fonts. Open, we're going to have a component thing coming up. We have the free internet plugin. Uh, the text editor... We used uh, Slate.js, and we also just built a new one with Outline. So mm-hmm. two different open for, open source text editors that we built and customized and add some different things in. Yeah, a lot of different things floating around. We designed our own emojis. We open sourced those. So there's like pixelated emojis, so you can do different reactions. You yeah. can take them, use them however you want. We pixelated all the social networks to clown on them a little bit. Okay, <laughs> you can't put your perfect logo on our site, and we're not putting your tracking pixel. No, you can't do that. <laughs> no. So there's some tracking Google, and Google's Firebase anyway. So mm. if they want to steal our information, they obviously, whatever. I mean, they already uh, have all the information. It's okay. There's all these trade-offs of, oh, can you afford a software that costs $20,000 a month? Or do you want to trade some of this information? And the Google Analytics trade-off across the whole web is like, a remarkable growth strategy, but I don't know how it's going to evolve. I'd rather pay them more and have a little more control over that. But mm-hmm. we'll see how the internet kind of plays out. <laughs> Hopefully more of these smaller companies start to emerge and not get sold mm-hmm. right away. And they start to emerge and prosper. And we have a little more diversity of large tech companies at the top. I love that. And I see here in the comments, Lynn Smook, is that, that your wife? Links, so yeah. links, so she went ahead and she said, uh, basically, what you guys are using is something called Outline and Next.js, Versal, Firebase, 
Prisma and Fund Awesome. <laughs> Fund Awesome. <laughs> I like um, to ask that question stuff, because we got some stuff coming out with them. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We got some stuff coming out with Grammarly. Yeah. Coil. I, we got web, web monetization floating around in there. Have you guys? I know Next.js is React.js, so you guys are using React.js kind of with Next.js. So mm -hmm. Verisoft gets into to go ahead, and you guys are using Firebase to actually fully. Do you guys use Firebase um, as well to uh, put it online? It depends where it is in the product. But so more of the root domain is on Versal and then app and different subdomains, authentication, Firebase, mm -hmm. um, storage and Firebase, a lot of user data of around all the stories, keeping the stories in a couple different places, have a That's backup. Cool. I know this is what a lot of you know, developers like to hear is that technology they're using, whatever technology is. Okay, great. Oh, now take it back to where we you know left off from, which is, okay. You start this hacker new thing and you start to see people coming in through there. At which point then, you know what? You realize that, okay, I want to take this a lot further and I want to focus in fully on that. Well, with the equity crowdfunding, we opened up a software team and now um, we've, we've doubled revenue three years in a row and we've passed last year's revenue pretty significantly already. Mm -hmm. So we opened up where we could hire a few more people and really in solving our own problems, we want to build little different software applications. Mm -hmm. So one of these is called slogging and you can see it at slogging.com and basically it's Slack blogging and it's turning our own conversations into Hacker Noon posts. Mm -hmm. So this little app that we've been using um, internally and with some Hacker Noon writes, so we published about 150 posts and it's about having a community discussion and then it, you click three buttons, you turn it into a Hacker Noon draft, editor reviews it and publishes it. Mm -hmm. So that, that came out of our tech lead having 28,000 Slack updates in a year and only 12 <laughs> Hacker Noon posts. And it was like, okay, that's not a good ratio. All the great writing is sitting around yeah. in our Slack that no one reads, so except us. Uh -huh. So that kind of where the core of the idea came from and now it could go many different directions that's right We're onboarding kind of our first communities here to try it out and start publishing it but it could become a standalone application Who where knows? you can slog on your own site yeah. so right now it's all slogging on hacker yeah so we built that and we look to solve our own solutions and then see if that software can be useful elsewhere okay and so let me ask you this okay when you went ahead and get started and before you even hire your first engineer tell me who was working on it it was it just you or were you using your wife or was it just you yourself who, you know what was the kind of the starting point outsourcing because software development was the first step and trying that and that didn't really work and then i teamed up with jay zalowitz an engineer and helped scale a couple little applications about how to reach out and tr see what stories are trending and try and figure out ways to tell people this is a good place to publish and mm -hmm. look at what's trending and use our insights about how once we start to rank for JavaScript terms, now mm -hmm. we have a, a little library here. Of, hey, if you write about this, it's going to rank really well because we're building up our authority around this words. Mm -hmm. So that level of insight and editorial support was really helpful for getting these first group of contributors in and them feeling like someone else is on the other side of the screen. Mm -hmm. And from there, it was like me and part-time people for about a year and a half. And then just me and Ling for another year and a half. Mm -hmm. And then we did equity crowdfunding, extended the team. Then we did one strategic investment from Coil to implement web monetization and kick off a referral partnership with them about. And Coil is pretty cool because you pay Coil $5. And then anyone that's web monetized, Coil streams that $5 to all the specific sites. So all they do is mm -hmm. add a meta tag to their site. Mm -hmm. And we've had about 2,000 writers. They add that meta tag to their stories and they get streamed a couple pen pennies from that $5 subscription. So mm -hmm. it's, it's trying to look for innovative technologies like that is pretty fun. Um, so, 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 so backtrack on the, on the Quill thing. What was the purpose? For the purpose is to create another feature for writers and try and be a part of more ways to monetize the content you own on the web. Okay. Like we want to provide more opportunities to writers. So that was like 
something we are pursuing as a strategic partnership and they believe in us and they want us to grow bigger. So we reached um, an agreement and uh, raised a million dollars from Coil, wow. kept our company entirely common stock, priced it so it increased the value of the company from the equity crowdfunding. And it, it's nice to get priced again. Like all this hard work I'm doing, can someone evaluate this thing and look how cool it is? <laughs> There's nobody that, nobody see what's going on here. I'm working so hard every single day and nobody can see it. It's, that was really cool because the, the founder of Coil used to be the CTO of Ripple mm-hmm. and he closed our equity crowdfunding round. We oh, were wow. doing an event at GitHub headquarters in San Francisco. I had never met him before. The event ends and he just tweets out something like just ended, just was the last investor in the Hacker Noon crowdfunding round and the round was over because it hit the cap. And he, <laughs> so it was like a cool, like, and I just found out his dad also invested in the round independently of him. What? In crowdfunding. Yeah. <laughs> like a 60, 70 year old guy that's just really excited about technology and reads the site. That's and it cool. Was like, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Does he now maybe make articles on the site or no? Or is it just like... He hasn't fit that his first one yet. I'll, maybe I'll message him. <laughs> that'd be interesting. That'd be interesting. Okay, great. So you were, you guys did some crowdfunding and at which point did you guys realize, you know what, we need to hire now developers, like in-house developers. And and did you have any difficulties around that? Yeah, so we, whenever we wanted to, the equity crowdfunding and pivot to our own software was all, it's one thing. It's saying, hey, if we don't control the software experience, we don't mm-hmm. control the site, it's, it's not our experience and people can steal it from us whenever they want. Or you're just locked into a shitty experience. If you tried to optimize our editorial flow within a WordPress, it could be done, but it would be a brutal amount of work of yeah. Our experience and our workflow into your workflows. You've already WordPress has so many like the whole ecosystem. It's built out. It's, it's there. Gigantic. It's not exactly the most flexible to say my site works differently than yours. Yeah, my people interact differently than yours. They need a different flow. They need a different experience. So that having that moment and having enough readers to believe in us to help us make that step and having enough sponsors to keep this thing going and and it was. That was definitely a tough move for us. And we had to work really hard, hopefully come out the other side looking good and making a bunch more money. And we have employees now for the first time buying houses, which is super cool. I think we had three uh, so far this year of the 11 go move into their own house. So that's super cool is like, judging my impact on the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you can, working here is we're making enough money and have a good enough business that people can work here and improve their lives. So yeah, that's, that's all, that's, that's always cool. one of the, you know, the biggest impact, right? Even here at Clever Programmer, when we went ahead and started Clever Programmer, and it's like now seeing that one person is getting an apartment in what's, and they're improving their life in that way. Another person is doing this, they're improving life in that way. It's always just, it's so it makes it very different for why you do things. Like it makes it, you realize that this is why you do the things that you do. You know, that as a team, if you as a team can become successful and you run this business and you guys are all growing together, everybody is growing together. Everybody either getting better in their skills. Everybody is growing in terms of their standards in life. They're getting better in happiness. That's like, I don't, know, I don't know if it gets better just in, in general. That's pretty much what you want, I feel like, in life. I think if more small, sustainable internet businesses would be just a great place to be in. The models right now is still very much too heavy of invest in an idea and then grow the idea and then sell the idea to somebody else and sell the thing. So I think if more people would look at internet longevity and try and say, hey, I'm a sustainable business. I make more money each year. Maybe it goes up more. Maybe it goes up less. But it's enough that it keeps growing and you own it in 10 years, 20 years from now, it's still a business with all the shareholders yeah. that actually 
through it as opposed to saying, hey, it got bought out and put into the shelf onto someone else's product suite. And the the, the essence is, you know, kind of sometimes that dies in, in yeah. that, those type of stages. But back to the other question you were asking, our first engineers that we hired, the very first leader, chief product officer we had as my one of my best friends and I had worked with him for eight years. I was a, wow. a groomsman at his wedding and he, he, I, he, I was actually a client of his when his old startup, he, they actually hired me to do some writing and messaging for them. His name's Dane Lyons and he, he since started his own company after rebuilding Hacker Noon where he's doing V1 labs where he's building all these micro apps and doing a micro app with NFTs right now. Nice. It looks pretty cool. Nice. Um, so that, and then he hired his old best pair programming. <laughs> so that was his first hire of that. So there is, the referrals are really valuable in the beginning. And then to me, it's referrals and inbounds are like, we're at the stage where that's all we need for people mm. and all the early developers. As companies get bigger, they want to like hire recruiting firms and target specific skills. And if I'm targeting anyone, it's like me or Ling. And we're like reaching out, talking to them, figure out like, hey, we admire you. It's not like... We're not paying anyone else to do that. And we're mm-hmm. not paying for any like recruitment marketing ads or we're not going to career camps. Yeah. And well, well no one's really going out. The career camps are coming back. Coming back. <laughs> hey, do you, do, you know, do you know anybody? Do you know anybody? Do you know anybody? <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. That's a really important aspect in hiring. This is, and also I talk a lot about this too here on Clever Programmer on YouTube and just in, in the bootcamp in general, a lot of times is, guys, your network is very important. Your network around who, what you, what you know is probably one of the most important things you can be as a developer. It's really hard, for example, even for me, when I was applying for jobs, my first job that, that I got, all, I look back at it and I'm like, most of the jobs that I had were pretty much through referrals. You know, it's, it's yes, I applied to a lot of these companies. I went to all these interviews and so forth, but the actual jobs I had were all through referrals. And that, I think this says a lot. And so this is a lot about as well, even coming from uh, David here is guys, grow your- through referrals, but I've actually never got a job through referrals. Part of the point of this whole thing was to never have to apply to a job again, and I just work for my own. But the first job I actually got with Smart Recruiters, I had been applying to all these jobs, had no network as a 21-year-old, and just mm-hmm. had, like, oh, check out my little site, bro. I didn't have like much going on. <laughs> what, but what changed, actually, because I was doing the traditional cover letter and resume, but then I just started reaching out on social networks and writing like three to four sentences about what I like about their business and how I could grow it. Wow. So that's actually how I, I cold messaged, uh, I think through LinkedIn for smart recruiters. And I just told the CEO what I like about the model that he's putting out and what I think I could grow. And mm-hmm. then I got a message back in a day. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. If you actually tell them something to help their business, they're more <laughs> likely to want to meet with you. I know. <laughs> it's crazy how that works out. Huh? When you want to help people, they just respond. So it's actually really interesting. Uh, Lynn's, uh, Lynn just recently commented. She said, one of our employees recruit people from via Hinge and Tinder. <laughs> I probably shouldn't comment on that. <laughs> I thought that was really interesting. Okay, great. So you, you guys went ahead and now you're hiring people. Tell me a little bit now in terms of what are some hardest? What are the hardest things that you have faced potentially when trying to build this? Because of course, like it or not, there's always challenging times. There's always difficult times. What are those tough times? Because of course, we've had some tough times. Of course, I'm sure you have. And there's the unpredictability of traffic on the internet, and specifically Google. Our top source of traffic is Google, and so like sometimes that goes up and down. They change an algorithm, or they favor one site over another. So there's an element of what's in your control and what's not. As a business owner, you want to spend your time doing things that are in your control and positively improving all this, improving the growth, 
the ceiling of your business, but also raising the floor and patching all the problems. Mm-hmm. So there's that element of what you can control and what you can't. And there, so that's um, something that I've worked on getting better at and just being picking projects and doing things in a way where I'm, I'm impacting the business on the things that I control because the bigger it gets, the less I control. The more people are out there just following and doing what they think their job is and the more mm-hmm. it's just the thing's bigger. I, it's not the same as, hey, all the labor going into it is me waking up and me sleeping. <laughs> and so getting over that hump and how to be better at each stage of the business is definitely mm-hmm. it's something I'm working on every day. Not distrusting you know how to do your job go for it yeah i'm guessing of course it's not easy you know as a ceo you have to be you have to know there's a lot of things you have to be aware of even though when this when the team is smaller it doesn't matter there that's actually even i feel like harder sometimes because there's a lot more communication you probably will have with the people that you and that you have to be on this side and then this side so i definitely get that portion what about things around what are the best times do you see what are the things that you just love when you're running a business like this it's, it's always nice to read the random actual kind comment on the internet and just <laughs> like, i'm doing nothing and something is popping up so there's a little there's some endorphins there and some vanity of just like Sweet. I'm working on this hard. It's not just sustainable for the people working on it, but the people using it are also gaining value and they're saying, hey, I'm glad this site exists. And if Hacker Noon didn't exist, I wouldn't learn that. Or Hacker Noon, I published here and I got my job later there. Wow. So like little wins that happen in your life, like just cherish them. Because as an entrepreneur, it's most of it is just running your head against the wall and moving the wall like slightly forward. And so like when the flowers come, like smell them, take your time, enjoy it. So those are great. I mean, Working from home, I've been remote. I had a, the first, I had an office on Flood Street in San Francisco. And then when I had my daughter and got married, I moved out to the country in Colorado. So just being able to work remotely with my wife and be in fresh air and be thankful to set up a good support system and sit in my own home office and type here, like setting up a life that makes my work better. Mm-hmm. So I think that stuff is really a lot to be thankful for. And a lot more people are getting it now with remote jobs, but it's still a ton of back and forth and People get a job, but they have to show up these places. They have to work remotely sometimes in the office, others. And the pandemic accelerated all this. But just having a good, healthy, remote work setup is something I'm extremely thankful for. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I agree. Remote work has been amazing. When COVID started, yeah, it's been great. It allowed me to a lot of stuff focuses. But sometimes... It, I mean, for me personally, like I love remote work and I love being at home, but sometimes like, oh my God, I cannot, I'm not wait to get out. To walk a lot and have your other yeah. go-to places. And I, I don't, we don't have an office right now, but I, I wouldn't rule it out forever. Like having a small office and mixing it up and having a couple people meet there. That'd be um, interesting. Yeah, that'd yeah. be interesting. Especially if you get to do YouTube when you guys get to collaborate together. Like for me, the collaboration portion is always the most important portion. If you wanted to make videos and collaborate, that's, that's how when all the brains come together and that's when, you know, magic happens. <laughs> so let, let, let me ask you this, okay? You've been you've done some amazing things now with Hacker Noon. You do some amazing things right now. Where do you see the future of Hacker Noon of Hacker Noon now at this point? So we want to continue down the path we're on, becoming a better place to read, write, learn, and publish and learn anything about technology and be this massive free resource. I want to do a better job of reflecting the technology industry. So that means right now we've done a good job of leveling up the people that are building and providing them with a voice on the internet and leveling up that voice and getting more discussion around the things that the people are actually building it or thinking about. Mm-hmm. So we want to also hold the tech companies a little more accountable and also empower them to tell their story next to the whole web. Mm-hmm. So we built tech company news pages 
where we're aggregating the discussion around every tech company and what they're talking about on the internet and what people are talking about them on Hacker Noon. So a little bit of that, like the character that greases all these wheels is the technology company themselves. They're the ones making the revenue. They're right. the ones funding it. They're the industry that's growing right. head over foot as every industry needs more technology help and more technology abilities. So there's a, we want to get a little better at that and look more towards like how uh, Terminal works for Bloomberg or how Crunchbase worked for TechCrunch. So a little more there and then more opportunities for contributors and saying, hey, contributors, you can plug in your coil meta tag. You can get subscribers for your newsletter here. You can Mm -hmm. drive traffic to book a call and get paid to book calls or book a customer and say, hey, get a demo of my software. So more explanation of who these people are and what actions they want on the Internet. So to help them out. And then for the readers. Just more customization of getting the content you want. The larger this library gets, the harder it is to get to the thing you actually want. (laughs) There's more ways to get into the library, but it gets complicated. So that recommended stories, that clean user experience, that customization of Hacker Noon to making it your own and picking your own tags and getting recommended the stories you want and not the ones you don't. (laughs) And just building more softwares that like we reuse elsewhere and looking at... uh, solving our own problems and creating these assets that we can open source or build a company or build a little team around. And hey, this proves enough promising that we have like our own voting software. And we vote this thing to vote on all the best contributors and have these awards around the internet and get sponsors to give things to the awards. And it's cool. That's another, we could use this voting software for many other things. Yeah. Like on startup of the year for every startup in the world, which we're going to do. So there's, that's where we're going. I, I just want to spend my time making it a better place to read, write, and learn and just build more software. And that's what I'm focused on and bringing in more stories about technology. I love that. I love that. And so for you, I'm just very curious, right? You love you know, building companies. You love building software. Have you, what is your say on, you no, know, have you coded? I'm just curious. Have you put, went down into that dark hole of coding or no? I can open a terminal and spit some stuff through and I can customize HTML. I can inspect and look at CSS and play with it and move Let's it around. Go. I'm at best a shitty coder. I'm, I, I know just enough about it to talk to a software developer. I just enough. That. Just I barely. That. I enjoy more the process of thinking about ripping stuff up and how software can grow. Mm-hmm. And now that the ecosystem gets bigger, the implementation of new feature is as important as the new feature. And mm-hmm. how does it fit with every other That's piece right. of software? Where are the integration points? Where are you cannibalizing traffic? Why is it leaving? Where could you put this instead? Those questions and like throwing something in and looking at the results and looking at the numbers and then seeing if I need to rip it out or how I could change it. That's more of where I get the brain juice and the, the euphoria the creative. and the reward that it's it's fun to break it and it's fun to fix it and it's fun to break it and it's fun to fix it. That's much more where I get the enjoyment. I love it. I love it. David, we've talked about a lot of things. We've covered what it actually means to create something like this. We've covered what it means to even work at a company like this. Are you guys hiring by any chance? Yeah, so we're hiring uh, junior editors and uh, software development, uh, a couple projects going on, Mm -hmm. opportunity to stay part-time or become Mm -hmm. full-time, looking for full-stack developers, people that care about the future of the internet, love reading Hacker Noon, experiencing content management systems is great. We talked about a lot of the technologies on here, but yeah, people that are humble and empathetic and write a lot. There we go, guys. If you guys are humble, if you guys are empathetic, if you guys write a lot on Hacker Noon, so make sure you guys write a lot on Hacker Noon, make sure you go down to the link in the description below, make sure you guys visit the YouTube, make sure you guys visit the website, hackernoon.com, okay? 
Make sure you guys are writing articles. I'm giving all you guys right now who are watching a task, okay? You guys need to write one article. Every single person at least write, write one article in the next week. How's that for a task, guys? What do you guys think, huh? I think it's a good task. I think it's a good task. Or a feature. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so go ahead and write that and then let us know. Other than that, David, it was a very much a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on here, for explaining your story. This was a fun conversation that we had, and I'm looking forward to the, the future conversation that, that we will have. But other than that, thank you so much. I hope, wait, no, this is not this one. Hold on. Let's do this one. Hey, let's go. Thank you so much, everybody. Hope you guys have a great day. This was Nas and 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 David from Hacker Noon. Hope you guys have a good day. We'll see you guys later. Bye-bye. Afternoon podcast.